Hey, Woodland Church, we're in this two-part mini-series we're calling You Are Not Alone. Because so many times when we're going through problems and, and experiencing pain, we feel like we're the only ones going through it. We feel like the, we're the only ones and that no one else really gets it. No one else really understands. And so our student pastor, who's over all of our student and children and next generation ministries at Woodland Church, uh, who I love so much, Pastor Mark Miller, is going to be bringing the message concluding this two-part series, um, and, and it's all about how there's another in the fire with you. When you're going through the fire, when you're going through pain, when you're going through problems, God is with you. He never leaves us, and he never forsakes us. So just thank God for Mark. Cheer him on. I thank God for you because you're praying for Chris and I as we are teaching at a pastor's conference in Europe and ministering and making a difference in lives through Woodland Church because people want to know what God is doing through you, Woodland Church. And so we're just grateful for what God is doing through you, and I just praise God for you. So give a warm thank you to Mark Miller. Well, good morning, church. What a privilege to be back with you um, as we just bring to close this two-week series on You Are Not Alone. And I, I hope that many of you were here with us last week as we just received encouragement through God's word that we're reminded that from the very beginning, God never intended for us to be alone. In Genesis 2.18, we saw where God spoke into Adam's life and he says, for it is not good for the man to be alone. And we really see that theme carried throughout scripture. And even though we're gonna go through the ups and downs and the struggles and the difficulties in this life, we were meant to go through life together, together with the Lord and together with each other. And that's really what the challenge of this series is all about, but it can be difficult because we can find ourselves in circumstances where we feel all alone. I know for me, one of the times I felt that and experienced that was actually at a junior high camp I was leading. I was there as a pastor and we were at a camp out in Kerrville and they decided to make this activity called the mine shaft. And what they did is they took shipping containers and they buried them underground, okay? And they connected them and they kind of did it with Legos first is how they laid it out. And they built all these levels and the shipping containers and it was a team building activity. <laughs> How fun. Um, and to, and, and what the idea of it was that you're supposed to go in there with a team. And so I took this group of seventh grade boys and I was like, you know what? We're going to go through here. We're going to go into the shipping containers. We're going to get to the mine shaft and we're going to set the record time and get out of here as fast as we can. And these seventh grade boys were like, I'm not so sure that we should go in there. It looks dark and scary. I was like, fear not for I am with you we will accomplish this together. And so they're like, okay. And so we crawled in, a couple minutes went by. We're still looking for our way through. We're crawling all up through the caves and whatever and get through this dead end and come back. It's been three or four minutes and now it's not gonna be a record, but we still have our pride intact and we're gonna get it done. And then it'd been 10 minutes and all of a sudden I realized I was claustrophobic. And I'm starting to freak out, but I have to keep it together because I have a group of seventh grade boys with me who are also freaking out. Are we ever gonna get out of here? is what I said to them. Um, and, and so then I see this one little light tunnel and I crawled to the edge of this little light tunnel and I was like, oh, way out. Well, no, it was just an air vent that they had created and they'd put a giant boulder in front of. And so I crawled to it and I could just see on the other side of the boulder as I looked into some of the other activities and things that were going on that the owner of the camp was standing right there. And so I called to him and I was like, hey, come here. He's like, yeah, what's going on, man? How's it going in there? I was like, not good, it's not, it's not good. I need you to get me out of here. Can you come in here and help me get out? And he goes, 
no, you're going to be fine. I was like, no, I'm not fine. Or I wouldn't be asking you, you need to come in here and help. And he's like, you're going to be all right. You need to keep figuring it out. And he wouldn't come in. I was like, man, you don't understand. Like I legitimately need help. Apparently there was like, there wasn't actually a way out unless you found this string in the corner of some piece of plywood that they didn't tell you you were supposed to be looking for. And if you pull on it, it opens a piece of plywood that then takes you to the path of the escape. So we'd gone past it like 10 times. I didn't know that. And here I was trapped into tight quarters with seventh graders who hadn't found out the purpose of deodorant yet, okay? And so it was lots of things happening all at the same time that were flooding me with different emotions, okay? And I wanted to get out of this dark space. Now, once I made it through and we found the latch and we came through and we got out on the other side, it was an awesome moment. At the end of it, shared with those seventh grade boys where they were like, Pastor Mark, did you cry? Uh, no, tears of joy, because I believed in you guys, you know? Um, it was a tough moment, you know, to come through. And I feel like so many of us, and so many times as a pastor, one of the things that we get asked all the time is when we meet people in the midst of their darkest struggle, their deepest, darkest hour, when they're going through struggles, or they just look into the world and they see so much hurt and pain out there in the world, and they ask and they say, listen, we believe that God is good. We look to the cross and we see that as good, but why does a good, loving God allow such struggle and pain into our lives, into his children's lives, to those who believe in him? Why does he allow such pain and suffering out there in the world? Where is our good God when we need him? Because in some, so many of those times when we get asked that question, it's because that person is going through their darkest hour. And they're wondering where God is and what's going on in their life. And I have found that as a pastor, that in that time in my life and in people's lives, that one of the things I have found that has brought comfort into my own life and often brings comfort in the people that I'm ministering to is to stop for just a moment and before we try to answer the question, why and where is God in those moments? That we first ask ourselves the question, what? What is it that we actually want from God in those moments? What is it that we want from a good and loving God? And I think when we ask ourselves that question, it gives us a chance to reflect on what, what what is it that we actually want from God? Because I know that we appreciate that God loved us enough that he gave us a choice to either choose to love him or to choose to go against him. And that choice brought sin into the world and it brought a falling, broken world. And we didn't want a God who gave us no choice or there'd be no love. But then still in the midst of that, why all the hurt, the pain, the suffering, where is God in the midst of those things? Why isn't he there to use his power to rescue us and bring us through whatever it is that you may be going through today? And when I ask that question though, it begins to make me think about, well, what kind of parent do I wanna to be to my boys? And what kind of parent was I looking for in my life of parents who love me and wanting to be a loving parent? What is it that I wanna to offer to my kids who I know by bringing them into this world that they were gonna experience trials and difficulties and struggles and pain. And even though they're young, my oldest is 10, about to turn 11, that I, they have already experienced pain in this world being teased at school or experiencing physical pain of, of hurting something, needing stitches or whatever. And that there has been wounds and pains and struggles that they've walked through that I wished on some level they didn't have to go through. But what am I supposed to do as a good parent? What is it that they want and what is it that I'm looking for? And I ask myself that question and I say, well, first of all, if I love them, it's what I'm supposed to do is maybe I should say to my boys and say, listen, because I love you, I don't wanna see you get hurt. So here's what I'm gonna do. I am just going to follow you everywhere you go. I'm going to be the intervening parent. And what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna follow you to school. I'm gonna be with you. And anytime some person comes up to talk to you, I'm gonna say, wait a second, fourth grade girl. 
Before you talk to my son, what is it that you want to tell him? Just a second, son. Plug your ears. You tell me. And if it is good and building up of my son and I feel like it won't hurt him and be what he needs, then I will let you speak to him. And every interaction that my son is allowed to have with people will first pass through me as an intervening parent. I would argue that's not what my kids want and not what we want. We don't want helicopter God and we definitely don't want to be helicopter parents. I actually remember I was actually at kindergarten orientation when I began to realize how much of an issue that this is, is when the principal had to actually speak to all the new kindergarten parents that were there. And she said, hey, listen, we, you know, we're so thankful that your kids are here. Feel free to walk your kid into the classroom the first day, but we do have to ask this of you. Please do not watch PE through the fence. And I thought about it for a moment as to what that must be like for teachers when they look in the parking lot and there's just parents or just adults just watching, looking scared. And they're like, she's like, we will call the police on you because we have no choice. And how many parents had had a cop knock on the door and be like, hey, what are you doing here, right? As we're just trying to manage those moments for our kids. And sometimes we do get in trouble potentially intervening too much. That's not what we want. But maybe if we know that's not what's best for our kids is to intervene with them all the time and to do that, that's too much of a hassle for us and for them. Maybe we should love our kids enough. Maybe if I'm a loving parent, I'm tired of seeing them get hurt or pain or the thought of them experiencing hurt and pain where I say, I'm not gonna follow you all around. I'm just not gonna let you go anywhere. I'm gonna keep you right here in this house. Why not? I can love you right here, give you three square meals a day and love on you and invest in you and protect you and let you feel my presence. And I will just hold you right here in this moment all the time. But I would argue that's not what our kids want and that's not what we wanted from our parents. We don't want a God and we don't want parents who just remove us from the potential of difficulty or struggles. So what is it that we really do want? What is it that a good, all-powerful, loving God, what is it that a good, loving parent should do with their kids. And I believe we're gonna see in scripture today as we look at a familiar story, if you grew up in church, of three great friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who found themselves in the deepest struggle and darkest hour of their life. I think we'll see in that story what it is that we really want from God. What kind of God it is that we want and what it is that we're hoping to experience with him and what it is that we're looking for in those moments. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And this story finds Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they are in exile. So we're in the Babylonian empire. Nebuchadnezzar has overthrown Jerusalem and taken some of the finest young men, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to serve in his kingdom. And in the previous chapters, we've seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand for their faith, choosing to eat what God has said was right for them to eat. We've seen Daniel interpret the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, a dream that he was not told, but the Lord brought to him. It was about a statue. And in chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar has now built a statue in his pride and is demanding that at the sound when the music plays that everyone bow down. This is what it says in Daniel chapter three. It says this, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. 
He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. I wanna take just a moment to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us in Atascacita at North Point, worshiping with us online. Whatever it is that you're going through, know this, you're not alone. God loves you. And when it feels like we're at our darkest hour, hold on, God's good, he's with you, and so are we. Let's pray together. God, we love you, and we know that you love us. We don't have to look any further than the cross and what you were willing to go through that we might be able to experience connection with you and connection with each other. So God, I just pray that through your word today and through the words that you bring into my heart and out of my mouth, that we would feel encouraged, feel strengthened, feel your presence, God, in such a powerful way that we would know that you're with us and that we would feel that presence in the way that we support each other. God, we love you. We know that we were created to be connected to you and connected to each other. So lead us into a deeper level of connection with you and with each other today. We're fighting for it, God. Help us, meet us where we are. Help us through our hurts. We love you in your son's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. What an interesting thing, right? I wanna just go back to that phrase where Nebuchadnezzar stops for just a moment and he says, as he's in this moment where he's on this power trip, right? He's the emperor. He's the emperor of the Babylonian empire. He is King Nebuchadnezzar. How dare you disrespect me? Do you not know who I am? You can almost sense that power trip. And then you kind of have to ask yourself, like, have you ever been on a power trip, you know? Like when your kids just won't follow your authority and you're trying to flex on them, be like, do you know what I can do? Teach your broccoli. Maybe it's to an employee or something that's flexing against you and you're trying to remind them that you're the one that signs their paychecks and you're trying to get them to get online and do what you need to do and you're just flexing. Or maybe you've had someone do that to you but in a bad way where their whole principle is trying to get you to compromise or trying to uh, uh, somehow craftily, deceptively getting you to compromise your convictions to go against what you know is right to violate what you know is good to go against what your parents have said is good and you feel that conviction, you feel that pressure because on some level they're reminding you, do you know who I am? You know, the truth is most of us don't need a Nebuchadnezzar or some sort of outside influence in our lives to tell us that because we already have that in our own minds. Oftentimes the one who speaks this kind of way to ourselves or to us is ourself. When in our own thoughts, when you've made some sort of mistake or are dealing with some sort of grief or depression or anxiety, and on some level, the enemy and your own body and flesh is convincing you, who can rescue you from this? There's no way back into community for you. You've been too far, you've done too much. Who can rescue from this? You better just buckle up and try to deal with it on your own. If you let some people know what's going on in your heart and your life, man, they will see you differently. You will be viewed differently and nothing will ever be the same for you. Who can possibly rescue you from this situation? There's no way through. Many times we're our own worst enemy when we give in to the fear and we listen to that same voice of Nebuchadnezzar, this power trip of one who thinks he is an all-powerful and who puts himself in the place of God and then says, I know you worship another God, but I'm telling you, I'm the God in your life. You better bow down to me because what God will be able to rescue you from the furnace I'm about to throw you in? You believe in God? Well, where is he? Because the flames are right there. The consequences of you not bowing down, I can show you right now where that is and what's about to happen to you. 
A lot of us, we've felt that. Let's pause. All of us have felt that. We've all been in the place and the trial and the suffering and the difficulty when we can't see a way through. When the enemy is telling us, you better bow down to your grief, to your addiction, to compromise you and your conviction because there's no rescue for you in this. Your only hope is to do exactly what I tell you to do. When we get to that place, what is it that we want? What is it that a good, loving, all-powerful God is gonna do and what is it that we're hoping that we will experience? Well, the first thing I know that we are longing to experience in those moments is his presence. Like, let me tell you something. Do not skip over how important that is and what we were actually truly created for. We were created to experience God's presence. That's where we started, that's where we're headed back to, and that's where we'll find fulfillment today, is in his presence. And so when those moments come, that's what we long for. I know that it is. Listen to what happened in Daniel 3, 23 through 25. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell in to the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. How interesting. First of all, can we just take a moment to consider the change in Nebuchadnezzar from just a couple of verses? Who will be able to rescue you from my power? Taking the most macho, bravado mindset to instill fear in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just carrying himself as a muscular man, everything that he could, to all of a sudden being like a four-year-old boy. Look! <laughs> Didn't we tie up three men? Now there's four. And the fourth looks like an actual God. What he must have been experiencing. But now let's switch roles for just a moment and let's get into the hearts and minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who at that moment must have been, if they're, they're human, as they're standing firm for their ground, I can tell you if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being faithful people, that does not mean that they were just like, so we can't wait to jump in the fire. I'm confident as those soldiers gripped them and threw them into the flames, and the, the flames were so hot that the soldiers themselves died, that that was not necessarily where they wanted to go, but they were not going to bow down to their convictions because they trusted God in the moment. But it doesn't mean that they wanted to be thrown into the fire. You know fear was attacking them and saying, now's your chance, last chance, beg for mercy, stop, Get, this is your chance, you're headed for the fire. You know those thoughts were attacking him, and then boom, they're thrown into the fire. Ah! Wait a second. And you can just imagine Shadrach saying to Meshach, like, are we dead? What happened? And boom, they find themselves in the presence of God. Don't miss how cool that is. They went from their darkest hour to their brightest hour in a moment. They went from being the last place they would want to be to the only place that you would want to be. They're walking around in fire in the, and in the presence of God. So many biblical scholars think that this is actually the presence of Jesus in the fire with him. Or it's an angel, I don't know, but they are in the presence of God walking around fire, being encouraged and being strengthened. What happened? What was talked about in that fire? I don't know. 
but I bet it was pretty awesome. I don't know what you're going through. And I am truly sorry for whatever hurt and pain and difficulty or thing that it is that you're going through. But don't lose hope or sight of the fact that you're always just a moment from your darkest hour to your brightest hour when you experience the presence of God. You know this as a parent if you are one. That moment when your kid does get hurt, they scrape their knee, they do something, they get hurt, their feelings get hurt and they come running and they're just a puddle of tears and they collapse in your arm and they're looking to you for comfort. Now, as a parent, on some level, you're like, wait, what's going on? I need to figure this out and deal with that. And, and you're trying to sort through things. But at the same time, you are so thankful that when they were hurt, they knew right where to turn. And you love experiencing their presence. Can I remind you of something? God loves when we get to experience his presence. When we're in the midst of the difficulty and we turn and he gets to walk in the flames with us and we get to draw near to him in those moments, you know that the faith and the confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was at an all-time high, from an all-time low to an all-time high in a moment. Whatever you're going through, hold on. Because it's in the darkest of moments that when God's presence comes through, and it does, and it will, that you go from your darkest hour to your brightest hour. It's so crazy because if I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that moment, all of a sudden I'm I, from the place, the last place I wanted to be to now in this moment where they're like, I bet they didn't want to leave. Can we just hang out in here for a while? This is amazing. You've experienced that, I bet. If you have lost a loved one, been through some sort of difficulty, struggle in your life, I know for me that came into my life. When I was 11 years old, my mom passed away from breast cancer leaving me and my six and brother and sisters and my dad. And it was a tough moment. It was a struggle and it was a challenge for sure. That's what, the, that's what happens in our lives, right? We come to these moments of difficulty, of struggles, of hurts, of pains and things that come into our life where, where we don't see any way out. And then God meets us where we are and all of a sudden it's like we're conflicted because it's like, man, that isn't something I would wish upon anyone, but I wouldn't want anyone to miss out on the presence and the comfort of God on the way that he comes through in those moments. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Ephesus. He said this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly, boldly and confidently come into God's presence. The way that a child runs to his dad when we're hurt, when we're broken, run and rush yourselves into the presence of God. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. You see, Paul had a different perspective on suffering and difficulty and things that he was going through because Paul had been through it all. And in the midst of it all, Paul discovered on some level that in the midst of his hurts and his pains and the things that he was struggling and dealing with, that that was where he found himself more connected to God than ever before. So instead of running from his pains and his trials and his difficulties, on some level, Paul was able to count it as all joy because he knew that's where he was gonna experience the presence of God. Paul reminds us is when he spoke to Timothy that if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will experience suffering. Jesus reminded us last week, we looked at this where he said, take heart because I have overcome the world. Why do we have to take heart? Because he says, in this life, you will have trouble. If you're experiencing hurt and pain in your life, it is not because God has forgotten you. God loves you and his presence is with you. Let his presence speak into your world and into your life today. Open up your heart and let God bring comfort into your life in the way that he wants to. I know when I did lose my mom to cancer, the way that I found out, and I 
haven't shared this very often, but I have shared it this weekend. The way that I found out is my dad called from the hospital and I picked up the phone. I said, hey dad, what's going on? And my dad just said, let me speak to your grandmother. And there was something about the way that he spoke that I knew that something bad had happened. So I did what I shouldn't have done, students, and I chose to stay on the line. I also realized that you have no idea what that means. <laughs> we'll talk on Wednesday. <laughs> I chose to stay on the line, and I heard my dad share with my grandma that my mom had passed away. Man, for an 11-year-old, you want to talk about being dropped into the flames, being dropped into confusion, not knowing what's going on. All of a sudden, the word spread amongst me and my other siblings, and we were just lost. One of my siblings, we didn't know what to do, but we knew we wanted to get to the hospital, and so we called Charlie Hartland. Charlie Hartland was a neighbor who lived just in the neighborhood next to us. They also had a big family, and so he had a 15-passenger van. It was not easy to move our family around. So we called Charlie Hartland. Mr. Hartland showed up, pulled this big van up in front of our driveway, and here comes seven kids walking down the sidewalk with just blank faces despair, not saying a word to each other, not sure what to say to each other. Charlie Hartland gets out of his van, walks on the sidewalk, and just grabs each and every one of us and just squeezes us and hugs us and meets us right where they are. I remember when Charlie hugged me, when Mr. Hartland hugged me, I felt the presence of God. You see, don't we get it? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus said, when I go, a helper will come, the Holy Spirit will come and fill each and every one of us who place our faith in Jesus of Christ. You are the presence of God. We get to be the presence of God to each other when we choose to be there for each other. But we have to choose to invest in the trust, to let God, can God send an angel to minister to us? Of course he can. Can God spend a, send a special touch of just encouragement? Of course he can. But why ask God for an angel when he's given us his church? He's given us his presence. That's why we have to serve, jump into a ministry, get onto a team, be a part of a life group. It's because you are the presence of God and you're needed in people's lives. I needed Charlie Hartland. I needed my dad when I got to the hospital to be that same hug and those friends who came to the hospital that were just there for me. Because if you've ever lost a loved one, you know how powerful and meaningful it is when people come and offer words of condolences and solace and they say really kind and wonderful things, but nothing is as meaningful as the friend who just comes and shares their presence with you. They're just there. And you feel their presence. And especially in God's family, we feel the presence of God by them being there with us, being the hands and feet of Christ. Trials and sorrows, difficulties and hurts are not things that we long for. At the same time, there is something about that presence that we were created for too. But it's not just his presence that we long for. We also long for his protection, for him not just to be with us, but for him to exhibit his power and to meet us where we are and assure us that everything's gonna be okay. And in Daniel 3, it says this, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. We don't want to. <laughs> I can imagine them saying so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. 
and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. I wanna highlight just a couple of things real quick. Number one, is it not interesting that Nebuchadnezzar went from being as far away from the fire as possible to then being trying to get as close as he could to the flames? Because in the fire is now where everyone wanted to be and the presence of the fourth who looked like a God. But he couldn't get close, but he wanted to experience what they were experiencing. So he calls them out. He calls them out of the fire and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step out of the fire. And the Bible says they weren't scorched. They weren't singed. In fact, they didn't even smell of smoke. Now you can't read this story and have experienced pain and struggle and difficulty and on some level hear this and ask the question, where was my deliverance? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the furnace. Why didn't my mom walk out of the hospital? God, where were you? Why haven't you healed this thing, done that thing? I've been faithful. I've been praying for you. Where are you? And the good news is victory is yours because you're marked with the seal of Jesus Christ, which means heaven is your home, which means that someday we will leave this life and we will show up in heaven without having been scorched or singed or even the smell of smoke through the things that we've been through. You are in victory. His protection is already on your life. You know what? I imagine when the enemy looked in on that hospital scene, when my mom breathed her last breath and my siblings were gathered in there and my dad was there and friends had come to comfort us, I can't imagine that the enemy had looked in on that moment and was saying to his fellow demons and elbowing him, being like, we won here, we've got victory here, we've taken this family apart. No, you didn't, you lost. Because what you intended for evil, God worked for good. And here I stand, golly, don't you do that, Mark, okay. And here I stand, a pastor getting to minister to you, getting to be a part of a much bigger family, having a wife who loves me and four incredible kids. You didn't win, Satan. I've got a brother who's a pastor at another church, a sister who's a Christian counselor at another church, a sister who's a Christian author and has trained Bible study teachers all over the world, a sister who's opened and started a Christian school, a brother who I believe is gonna surpass us all, a brother who's super involved in his church in North Carolina and is leading small groups there and started his own business there. God is faithful and he brought us through and in fact, he has strengthened us. And oh, by the way, can I say from my dad, that God brought another incredible lady into his wife who's been an incredible grandma to my kids and he has given my dad 32 grandchildren. I don't say that to boast about what's going on in my life. I say that to boast that in our weakest moment, God proved his greatest strength. That's what he does. You do have God's protection on your life. He is at work. I know that because I am a parent and I know how much it takes to raise a kid. I'm a parent of a two-year-old right now. Every day I realize it is a miracle that my kid is still alive. I mean, can you think back as parents to how many times you have dove off the couch to catch your kid and to barely keep them from hitting their head in the concrete or hitting their head on the fireplace and jumping over here and blocking this and saving this and doing whatever? It's amazing. It's a miracle, but you know what has never happened? I have never dove and caught my two-year-old's head from hitting the concrete and picked them up and they have never said, thank you. (laughs) They just waddle off completely unaware of the protection that is around them all the time. But then every once in a while, they do get a scrape, a bruise, a bump, or whatever. Have you ever had that two-year-old look at you with, like you've betrayed them in their eyes? Where were you? 
Why did you let this happen to me? God's protection is all around us. Don't miss it. His protection is coming. You've already have victory. Let us have more maturity than that, that when we're in the midst of our pain and our suffering and those things that they come into the world, that in the midst of the hurt, that we don't have to deny the hurt, that we can say, God, I feel the hurt. I just need to come into your presence because God, I know you will bring me through. God, I know that your protection is already on my life. You have brought me through and you will bring me through. God's protection is good. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 11. He said, now I'm departing from this world. But he said to the Father, they are staying in this world, his disciples and us. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, he said, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Jesus understood that in this life we will go through struggles and difficulties. We already knew that. So he's not saying God protect them from experiencing hurt and pain. Did you catch that? He says God protect them that in the midst of their hurt and their pain, protect them from the attack of the enemy who is convincing them that they have to isolate themselves. And instead, God, allow the power of what you allow, are going to allow me to accomplish on the cross, that in their darkest hour that they would turn to each other and allow each other to be more unified than ever before. I know that so many of you are hurting or holding on to hurt, and I can't heal that hurt, but if you'll let us, we can carry it with you. And we can introduce you into the presence of God. I am hoping that for so many of you who came in here today and experiencing a burden, that you are allowing me to be the presence of God into your life. Open your heart and let God's healing come. You don't have to carry it on your own anymore. God's given you a church family that wants to be his presence. There's always a way back into connection with God and connection with others. Let what he accomplished on the cross come to pass in your life and experience the unity you were created for. Why? Because we weren't just created for his presence and his protection. Where the real fulfillment comes in our lives is when we remember that we want to experience his purpose. Listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 3, 28 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. What a change in tone. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. God met them right where they were. And what happened was in the midst of this pain and this purpose, you see they come out and all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar is telling the whole world, we have to praise this God. And he changed his tone from being a, the kind of king and emperor who says, who will be able to rescue you from this struggle? To then seeing them live through the struggle and changing his heart completely and seeing God's purpose come to pass when God used their trials, used their difficulty, used their pain to change a nation, to change an empire. It's perspective on God. 
God will not waste your pain. God's presence is here right now. He loves you. And he has sent me to speak into your life that Jesus, God's son, came and laid down his life for you to demonstrate that love for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. We are right here. I know that doesn't take the hurt and the pain away, but I hope it encourages you to share it with us, to share it with him and let his presence, his protection, and his purpose begin to shine through. I know for me, there was a difficult moment in my life. I can't even know, I don't even know how to describe this. I've never had it medically diagnosed and I'm not really asking to have it be. But there was one moment in my life, I remember where I came, I was getting ready for church on a Sunday morning. I was sitting on my bed, getting dressed. My wife came out of the bathroom, getting ready and she saw me and I was just sitting on my bed, just holding my jeans. <laughs> and she looked at me and she says, what's wrong? I said, I have no idea. For some reason in that moment, something happened in my heart and in my mind and the, every thought that I had was rushing to failure. I couldn't be a good husband. I couldn't have good thoughts about being a good dad, being a good pastor. It was just everything, every thought that I had, every encouraging word that I tried to share with myself, every scripture that I spoke over myself was just hitting a brick wall and I just felt like a failure continual, continually. And I couldn't get out of the mindset. In fact, the only thing that allowed me to escape that mindset in that moment is I would reach over and I would pinch my arm as hard as I could. And in that moment, the pain gave me something else to think about. And when I would let go, it would just happen again. So I tried my best because when my wife first came in, I'll tell you, my first, my first mindset was don't tell her. Come on, get out of this on your own. She won't understand. And I was thankful that the Lord filled me with just enough humility to let her in and be like, I don't know, babe, this is what's going on. I, I can't move out of this mindset. This is what's happening. My wife lovingly stopped me right there and she says, hey, here's what you need to do. I know you got a lot of stuff to do at church today, but you're going back to bed and we're gonna stay right here with you. And then she sent a text message out to my family, you, the church, and my blood family, and people started to pray for me. And there was something about when I started getting text messages back and people calling me, when people were speaking into my life, the same things I was trying to tell myself that I couldn't hear. When God's family spoken into my life, it broke through the power of the enemy. And I felt God's presence and I felt this protection and I was reminded of his purpose that the enemy was trying to stand against what my purpose was as a dad and as a husband and as a pastor to these teenagers right over here. Because as soon as I came through it, then the enemy started to attack and said, oh, I'm coming back tomorrow. You better bow down. You better shrink back in fear because I'm gonna continue to bring this mindset into your life. And can I tell you, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, I'm gonna claim God's protection and the prayer of the people over me. I have never entered back into that mindset again. And God has been faithful to deliver me from that. I've been holding on that. But here's the thing, here's the truth of the matter. I don't care if it does come back. Bring it on. Because in that moment, I felt the presence of God like never before. Do your worst enemy in our lives because we will continue to stand strong. Victory is already ours. There is a powerful verse in scripture in Romans 8, 28 that says God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called to according to his purposes. It is one thing to believe that promise, but there is a whole other level of power when you get to live through that promise. That is what's waiting for you. Hold on. 
God wants to work together for good in your life. The pain and the problems in this life are real, but the hope of Jesus Christ is to know that we already have victory over them. So hold on. There's another in the fire. You're not alone. We wanna stand with you. Isn't it cool that Shadrach didn't go into the fire by himself, but Meshach and Abednego went right with him. We wanna walk through that fire with you. And God wants to meet us right in that moment. I know that doesn't take away the hurt and the pain and the things that you're struggling through, but let my voice be the voice of the Lord in your heart today. You are not alone. Victory is yours. You're not alone. There's another in the fire. So would you stand with me? And I want this song to be a part of our service where we claim what is already ours. And my prayer for you is that throughout this song that you allow yourself to experience the presence of God as we sing this together. And if you can't sing, that's okay. Let us sing for you and claim what you can't claim for yourself today. There's another in the fire, you aren't alone. There's another in the water holding back the seas. Victory is yours. That teenager is not gonna stay far from God for long. We will fight with you and pray for you over their hearts and minds. That relationship is not too far. You are not too deep into your addiction to experience the grace of God. We will stand together. There's another in the fire. Let's sing it together, come on. Man, can we give God a shout for meeting us here in this place today? God, we love you. Ah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your hurt and your pain and your struggle. We want to feel it with you. And at the same time, we want to stand with you. And we want to speak into your life that God's presence is here for you. His protection is already on you and his purpose is being lived out through you. Listen, I didn't lose my mom. My mom's waiting for me. I know where she is. He doesn't get to have the victory. The victory is already yours in Jesus Christ. So whatever it is that you're holding on to, I love that part of the song where it says, so come what may, bring it on enemy because we aren't gonna back down in fear anymore because the enemy, you bring it on because we know no matter how bad the pain gets, that's where we'll meet Jesus. That's why we find joy in the middle of our battles. That's why we stand together. And that's why we will never bow to the darkness because we're the people of light. Let's go to the light together, come on. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.